0: The war had been brutal. The Portuguese had been making war against the Congo and Ndongo peoples in Angola. Prisoners were taken and marched anywhere from 100 to 200 miles to the port of Luanda where they were loaded onto the ship the San Juan Batista. They were bound for Veracruz on the coast of Mexico in the summer of 1619. As the San Juan Bautista neared Veracruz, two ships, the White Lion and the Treasure, captained by English privateers, attacked and offloaded 50 to 60 of the African prisoners. Near the end of August in 1619, the White Lion appeared on the horizon near present-day Hampton, Virginia. She sailed into port, where John Rolfe, a prominent Virginia plantation owner and merchant, and the former husband of Pocahontas, traded food supplies for 20 Negroes. The rest of the Angolan prisoners were acquired by other plantation owners, including Governor Sir George Yeardley. 400 years ago, this very month, the first African slaves were brought to these shores, beginning an ignominious history of pain and prejudice that continues to this day. Long before those first African slaves were brought to the Americas and long before the plantation owners paid to receive them, when the first explorers came to this continent They were met by people and civilizations that had been here for centuries. The indigenous peoples of the Americas had summarily been evicted from their homelands, hunted down like animals, and they had been portrayed as villains and worse in American folklore, forced to live in the squalid conditions of places we refer to as reservations. These noble people were robbed of their dignity and their self-value. 99 years ago, women earned the right to vote, or so we're told. A slight correction to that in traditional history lesson is in order. 99 years ago, white women earned the right to vote. The descendants of those first African slaves, male and female, while set free from slavery by President Abraham Lincoln on January 1, 1863, did not earn the universal right to vote until 1965, when President Lyndon Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act into law. It was designed to guarantee the rights of the 14th and 15th Amendment of the Constitution to all Americans, especially those of racial minorities in the South. Now the question that begs to be asked is, why were those situations allowed to be? What prompted white owners to purchase and own black slaves? Why were Native Americans labeled savages and sent to internment camps? Why were women denied the right to vote? Why did it take nearly 350 years before the descendants of African slaves were afforded the fullness of citizenship in this country? The answer is disturbing. The answer is that African slaves And Native Americans and women and the descendants of African slaves were considered less than human. At the Constitutional Convention of 1787, the question addressed was how would slaves be counted in the census to determine congressional representation for a state? The compromise was that three out of five slaves would be counted effectively saying that a slave was three-fifths of a human. Women were denied the right to vote for years because, among other reasons, they were considered intellectually and emotionally incapable of meeting the responsibilities connected to casting a vote. Jim Crow laws were state and local laws that enforced racial segregation in the South poll taxes, a specified amount of money to be paid at the time of voting, effectively silenced poor black Americans prior to the Voting Act of 1965. That's history. That's our history. Now let's do a little theology. The problem, just as great and maybe even greater, Than the historical problem is the theological moral problem of seeing others as being created in less than the image of God. The author or authors of the first story of creation tell the story so that the culmination of God's creative work was the creation of humankind, everything else is created light, sun, moon, stars, oceans, dry land, flying creatures, swimming creatures, walking around creatures, and then capping it all off. In the triumphant moment, God creates us. Now, I've read my Bible, and I even went back and read it in Hebrew to double-check. But nowhere Nowhere does it say God created white folk in his image. It's not there. I'll wager a week's salary on it. We think of the creation of humans as the creation of white humans because that's what we were taught by white theologians. It's the ultimate white privilege. Archie Bunker, that great theologian of the last century, was arguing with his neighbor, Henry Jefferson, about astronauts and God. The subject of race came up as it was bound to. After a long argument, an exasperated and beaten down Archie finally says to Henry, I was created in the image of God, and you'll notice I ain't black. Whatever the image of God is, and there are theologians who will argue the point till the sun comes up tomorrow, we know for certain of what the image of God is not. The image of God in which all humanity was created has nothing to do with race. The image of God has nothing to do with ethnic identity or origin. The image of God has nothing to do with anything that has the power to divide us. In the Hindu tradition, there is a wonderful phrase, word, and practice. The word is namaste. It's offered as a greeting or as a leave-taking. Namaste means I recognize the divine in you. You offer a slight bow and then share the word namaste. Now I'm not necessarily encouraging the adoption of this practice but I am suggesting that we adopt the understanding in fact turn to your neighbor and say to your neighbor i see the image of god in you go on do it at a minimum the image of god is about kindness Presence, acceptance, recognition, and grace. There's a wonderful story told in the book of Exodus of Moses asking God for a glimpse of God. God accommodates Moses by putting Moses in the cleft of the rock That's where that hymn comes from, friends. And covering Moses with the divine hand. And then withdrawing that hand at the very last moment so that Moses can see God's back. According to the new revised translation. Frankly, I like the older translation that says Moses saw God's hinder parts. Moses did not have a face-to-face encounter with God. We shouldn't expect one either. But we can catch a glimpse of God when we look into the face of our neighbor. And our neighbor should be able to catch a glimpse of God when they look back into our faces. It won't be a perfect image because We're not perfect people and we do not live perfectly in God's way. Still, when we begin to see a glimpse of God in each other, the image of God in which we were all created way back in the beginning, we will begin to see ancient wounds healed, ancient divisions mended, ancient destructive behaviors ameliorated. The point of the creation story in Genesis is that we were all created in the same image of God. There's no distinction. It does not matter how much melanin is in our skin. It does not matter where we come from. It does not matter how long our family has been a part of any particular country. The great equalizer is that we were all created in the image of God. It is when we choose to not recognize that truth and live in that truth that we unleash the evil that has marked our history. But when we embrace that truth, when we see all people, indigenous, immigrant, those brought against their will, those rejected by others, those born here, when we see all people as created in the image of God, Then we will catch a glimpse of God and we will make a heaven of this earth for now and evermore. Amen.